Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another edition of Red Leg Nation Radio. I'm your host, Chad Dawson of RedLegNation.com, easy for me to say. Joining us again today, our good buddy Doug Gray from RedsMinorLeagues.com. How you doing these days, Doug? Oh, pretty good. The Reds are winning, so I don't have too much to complain about. How about yourself? Oh, about the same. It always makes life just a little bit better uh, when the Reds are playing well. And the Reds are playing well uh, right now. Uh, fantastic, really. If you ask me, I'm very pleased. Uh, 29 and 18 at the moment. Uh, actually, not only good enough for a tie for second place in the National League Central, amazingly, behind the uh, Red Hot Cardinals and the uh, the Pirates, who will fade at some point. Uh, I'm sure of that. But uh, but the team's playing well. You know, I don't have very many complaints about a 29-18 start, and I especially don't have any complaints about the fact that they've got a run differential of 57, scored 57 more runs than they've uh, than they've allowed, second only to those. Stupid Cardinals uh, in the majors, actually, for that for that uh, stat. What do you think about how the Reds are playing right now? Are you as excited as I am? I mean, I can't say for sure that I'm as excited as you are, but I'm pretty excited. I feel that, you know, with where the team's at, um, and, you know, I feel that most people don't feel that they're even playing up to their potential at this point, and for how good they're doing, you know, that really says how good this team is and can be, um, you know, I know that you look at the standings and they're in second place right now, but they've still got one of the best records in baseball, and they've done it without Johnny Cueto for most of the season and without the guy they thought was going to be their cleanup hitter. So I'm pretty excited with where the team's at right now, and you know I think that they're going to continue playing this well, if not better, the rest of the season. Yeah, I would hope so. I mean, the, the team's playing playing well, and I know that some people are, are maybe not uh, fully on board with this bunch, but third best record, or I guess there are only two teams, that have more wins is the best way to say that than the Reds do at this point. And uh, certainly the Reds have one of the, uh, are tied for the second best record in the national league. Of course, again, they're the, the team they're tied with and the team that's ahead of them are both in the central. So, uh, you know, you look at the standings and, uh, they're not up the top of the division. So that may be disappointing to some people. And I, I'm, I, I hate losing to St. Louis, uh, as much as anyone, but, uh, let's talk about this road trip. The Reds just, Got got back from a seven and two road trip, and you know the Reds had started the year obviously on fire at home, and they've been sixteen and six at home this season. But on the road, started off pretty poorly against some decent teams. Now the Reds come back off this uh, latest road trip when they seven and two record, as I said, swept two of the teams on the on the road trip, the Mets and the Marlins. And let's concede the Mets and the Marlins aren't exactly world beaters, but still, uh, you got to take a seven and two road trip anytime you can get it. Am I right? Uh, you're right. You are definitely right. Um, I mean, what's the old saying? Go 500 on the road and have a winning record at home, and you're doing all right. So, you know, the Reds are back over 500 on the road. Uh, you know, like you said, they turned out really poorly uh, on the road to begin the season. But, you know, they're back over 500 on the road, and uh, you can't complain about that. No, you can't. And, uh, and again, the Reds are beating up on some of the, the poor sisters of the uh, National League, uh, I guess you could say. But... Teams like, as we said, the Marlins and the and the uh, Mets and the Cubs, and I guess there have been some fans who have pointed out, well, it's you know what the Reds have done, twenty nine and eighteen overall, 
11 games over. They didn't get 11 games over until uh, mid-June last year. Uh, not not as impressive because they haven't done it against, I guess, the be- better teams. I guess my point there, and, and I'll see whether you agree with this or not, is that uh, every good team, are, they're supposed to beat up on these on the poorer teams that they play. And no team plays exceptionally well against the quote-unquote good teams. I mean, there's, that's why they're the good teams. Teams don't have great uh, winning percentages against them. So uh, I'm less concerned. You may think uh, I should be more concerned, but I'm, I'm happy about the fact the Reds are taking care of business against the teams they're supposed to be taking care of business about. And it just doesn't concern me that in uh, a handful of games here, Maybe they haven't looked great against uh, you know the Cardinals and the, the Nationals and some of the better teams in the National League. What's your opinion on that subject? Yeah, I'm pretty much with you. I mean, you know, it's was it? It's May 23rd right now. You know, not having a good record against other teams with a winning record that doesn't really mean anything right now. You know, it could just be completely random chance at this point. You know, they've got what 18 games against other teams with winning records right now. You know, that's not really enough to, you know, take anything away from unless you're trying really hard to look for something just to, I guess, have something to talk about. Um, you know, this team's really good. I think that everybody knows this team's really good. And, you know, like you said, no team, no matter how good they are, is going to have a big, you know, winning percentage against other good teams. It's just not going to happen. That's why they're good teams. They don't lose, you know, day in and day out to anybody. So, you know, I- I'm with you. I- I'm not. I'm not concerned about it at all. Well, we've talked about the Reds generally, I guess, and the general consensus amongst us anyway is that, hey, this bunch is uh, – they're playing pretty well and they're in, they're in good shape right now uh, for the rest of the season. Let's dig into the, some of the specifics a little bit more and, and discuss some some individuals. Let's begin with this pitching staff. There's a lot of storylines uh, with respect to this pitching staff that we can discuss. The first one I want to talk about has been a little bit of a topic of conversation. Uh, well, it's been a big topic of conversation over the last couple weeks, which is that fifth starter spot. And I guess when the fifth starter spot is such a topic of conversation, it means that you've got a pretty good rotation in a lot of ways, and the Reds do. But obviously, Mike Leake is the, the Reds' fifth starter, and Johnny Cueto came back this week. And, of course, Johnny Cueto, is he's, he's the purported ace of this staff, although uh, Matt Latos may have a thing or two to say about that. Um, and so somebody had to go, and uh, Reds fans had – Chose sides. Was it going to be Tony Singrani? Was it going to be Mike Leake that had to go? My stated opinion was that it was Mike Leake was definitely going to stay, just based upon the fact the way that uh, the Reds have done things in the past. Mike Leake had been around. Singrani was sort of the new guy, and Singrani, by all accounts, has some things still to work on. But Singrani looked fabulous uh, in his six major league starts. First six major league starts, two and zero record, three point two seven ERA. And a guy that performs like that gets sent to the minors. My opinion is that really says something uh, sweet uh, about the Reds' pitching staff and uh, and the future of this club, that uh, a guy like that can get sent down to work on some things. Were you surprised that Singrani was sent down? Uh, what did you think about that decision? What would you have done? And uh, you know, what are your, I want to hear what uh, Singrani's doing tonight as well. I won't dig into well, that one. Well, I'll start off with what he's doing tonight. Uh, so far, you know, he's got two no-hit innings, one walk, three strikeouts. Uh, he's thrown 27 pitches. So, so far, so good. Um, as far as the decision, you know, I, I think the Reds made the right one. 
Um, even if Mike Leake had only been, you know, so-so rather than as good as he's been so far, I, I think that he would have gone down. Uh, you know, I'm not sure who made the decision for the Reds to set up the game plan when Tony Singrani started, but he threw to three different catchers, and to every catcher he threw 80% fastballs or more. And that tells me that somebody with the Reds organization decided that, you know, he did not have the secondary pitches that they trusted enough for him to throw to major league hitters. Um, and that that right there just told me that no matter what the results were that he was getting, that they wanted to send him back down to work on whatever it was that they wanted him to work on. You know, somebody didn't trust him enough to, you know, go out there and throw change-ups and breaking balls to hitters. And, you know, eventually they're going to catch up with catch up with anybody with a fastball, you know, that's, I guess, not a world as Chapman-like when he's out there throwing 100-plus every pitch. And you just can't do that as a starter. So I, it didn't surprise me that they sent him down. Uh, it's the same move I would have made. Um, you know, I think I would have had a different game plan than they had. I would have had him mixed in off-speed stuff a little bit more. But, you know, I looked at it in depth after he got sent down. And, you know, really it's not that they hit his off-speed stuff so much. It's, you know, he was leaving it up in the zone a lot more often than you would like to see off-speed pitches. Um, and I think that, you know, that's one of the things that he's going to need to work on when he's down there too, not just, you know, improving his curveball and his changeup, but, you know, the control and command of both of those pitches as well. And you're right. He'll certainly need command uh, and be able to locate those pitches if and when, and it's just a matter of uh, of when he gets an opportunity to come back to the major leagues. Uh, yeah, I, I think it was the right decision. Leak, of course, is the veteran in this scenario, which is hard to believe for a guy that's 25 years old that he's the veteran in this scenario. But uh, Leak has pitched very well. Let's not uh, let's not take anything away from him. Leak's four and two with a 3.25 ERA at this uh, at this point, and um, I think even if he hadn't pitched so well, and of course his last couple starts have been pretty good, got that ERA down, but. I think even if he hadn't pitched so well, Singrani was going down no matter what. And, and people wanted to create a controversy. Is it going to be a league? Is it going to be Singrani? I, frankly, I don't think it was ever a question in the mind of the Reds, especially so once you consider, as you said, his pitch selection, uh, I guess, uh, in the big leagues, really gave you a, a, an indication that the Reds didn't trust his off-speed stuff as much. And so... He's got some things to work on. Kid's 23 years old. He's going to be in Cincinnati at some point uh, full-time. Um, it was fun watching him while he was here, though. Uh, good to see a young guy like that come up and really uh, really impress. Uh, but, man, what a tough nut to crack this Reds rotation. you got uh, Matt Latos, uh, 3.17 ERA. Bronson Arroyo, 4-4, uh, 3.28. Homer Bailey, 2-3, 3.09 ERA. Uh, Leak, of course, we said the 3.25, and then Johnny Cueto, two and two with a 3.22 ERA. The best ERA out of the six starters there this year is old man Bronson Arroyo at 3.28. I mean, I can barely even after the years that we've seen of of uh, you know uh, some of these guys, Jimmy Jimmy Anderson, Jimmy Haynes, uh, some of these jokers we've seen come through the Reds rotation. Can you even fathom how good? These six pitchers have been that have started the games for the Reds this year? Only because I've seen it with my own eyes. But, you know, if you had told me, you know, two or three years ago that the Reds could get, you know, six starters, 
it could, you know, put up ERAs all under 3.30. Yeah, I, I just started laughing in your face. There, there's yeah, no never. way I could have believed that. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's amazing to see. I mean, yeah, you know, some of these guys are, you know, they were big prospects, but, you know, they don't always all pan out like that. I mean, we saw Homer Bailey struggle for years to get where he's at now. And, you know, I'm glad that he is where he is now, but, you know, not everybody takes that next step forward like he does. And, you know, it seems that, you know, Tony Singrani, not counting right now, that all of these guys, you know, outside of Bronson Road, they're young and they've all already taken that step forward. And, you know, maybe Mike Leak isn't quite there yet. Maybe he is. We're not sure because, you know, last year he wasn't there and it's still pretty early. But, you know, as of right now, all of these guys are getting the job done and you know, relatively really young. And that, that's really impressive to see. Oh, it's just it's outstanding, and you hit on the one thing that makes me. If you're not excited enough about those numbers that I just uh, discussed, if that doesn't uh, excite you completely, you hit on the other uh, subject that just blows me away when it comes to what the Reds really have over the next few years. This bunch, Bronson Royo, 36, obviously he's the old man of the staff, but then Johnny Cueto, Homer Bailey, 27 years old, Matt Latos, Mike Leak, 25 years old. Tony Singrani, 23 years old. These are young guys. I mean, these are uh, these are guys that should have really solid years ahead of them for the next several years. Um, and, and it really gives you a little bit of uh, comfort knowing that we have this uh, potential staff uh, to look forward to for the next few years. It, it, does, it, does it amaze you as much as it amazes me uh, just to have that many, you know, five really young guys still? Yeah, it's, it's really impressive what they've done. And, you know, I, I think that a lot of the credit can go to Brian Price as well. You know, when he came in, you know, he was touted as one of the better pitching coaches in baseball. But, you know, I don't think that anybody expected the kind of results that he's been able to get, um, you know, from not just the guys in the rotation, but also some of the guys from the bullpen. I mean, think about what he's been able to do with Alfredo Simon, who basically got let go for free, and the Reds picked him up for nothing, you know, last year. And all he's done for the Reds since then is put up an ERA of about three and, you know, 80-plus innings out of the bullpen. You know, he's just been able to get the most out of just about every pitcher that's come through since he's been here. Well, I agree. I don't know of any other way to, to look at it other than to give Brian Price uh, real credit for what we've seen. Um, and, and, again, you talk about some of these younger pitchers, having a guy like Price who can uh, sort of guide them through these what you would call formative years in the major leagues. And uh, I think he deserves credit with Homer Bailey. Homer Bailey is a completely different pitcher than he uh, has ever been. He's uh, just uh, he's aggressive. He's confident at, uh, on the mound. And you got guys like Mike Leake, who we hope, uh, as you said, we don't know yet, but it's looking like he may have taken a little bit of a step forward this year. Uh, we hope so. And then, of course, everybody talks about Matt Latos possibly being an ace, and I want to talk about that in a moment. But, you know, Latos has really uh, – he's a young guy. He's a guy that needs some, some of that guidance perhaps. Let me ask you what you think about this question. Who's the ace of this staff? Johnny Cueto or Matt Latos? Or, or somebody else, but uh, I think those are probably the top two. Who, who's the ace here? Well, I, I'm going to throw Homer Bailey's name in the mix. Um, I was actually talking with somebody the other day, and I decided to look up the stats. Since last year, the difference between Matt Latos and Homer Bailey in ERA is 0 0.03. So they're basically the exact same ERA, and they've thrown five fewer innings than each other. And Elmer Bailey's walked a few less and struck out a few more. And now this is counting their time in the playoffs as well. 
But they've basically been the exact same pitcher since Matt Latos became a Red. And, you know, I I think that Helen Bailey gets overlooked a little bit in this conversation sometimes. Um, and, you know, I really don't know which guy I could pick. Um, you know, long term, I, I'd probably say Matt Latos uh, just because I'm – I don't know. I just lean towards him just a little bit more. I'm not entirely sure I trust Cueto over the long haul. But right now, you know, for the rest of this season, I, I really don't think I could pick one of those three guys. I think that any three of them could be better than any of the other two. And, you know, it really just all depends on, you know, where they wind up pitching. You know, maybe if one guy ends up with, you know, a few more starts at home and another guy gets a few starts in, you know, St. Louis and San Diego, bigger ballparks, you know, that might reflect a little bit better on his ERA, and in the end, you know, those extra few starts are going to make a difference. But, you know, I, I'm i just glad that I can have a conversation where there's three guys on this staff where I can be like, oh, yeah, that guy can he, – he's, he's the best guy in our rotation, and not be able to pick one. Well, yeah, you brought uh, Bailey in that conversation. Probably I should have a moment ago. Absolutely. Uh, especially with Homer Bailey, really 27 years old, you would think hitting his, uh, hitting his groove, hitting his prime years. Um Johnny Cueto is probably going to – I've been pretty uh, vocal at uh, Red Lake Nation about the fact that Bronson Arroyo has been my favorite Red for the last few years uh, since Adam Dunn left. Um, actually, there was a brief interlude there where Edwin Encarnacion was my favorite, and I think that I've, I'm, I'm justified now in, in, in admitting uh, that Edwin Encarnacion was my favorite because look what type of a player he turned out uh, has turned out to be. But uh, since Encarnacion was traded to the, the Blue Jays, really, it's been Bronson Arroyo. And um, because I just love watching him pitch, I love the way he maneuvers the the baseball, the way he changes arm angles and changes speeds. Fun to watch. In a lot of ways, Johnny Cueto is uh, sort of a, a not a similar type of pitcher because that's that's not true. But he's as fun to watch as anybody. Uh, maybe that's just a function of the the funky delivery he has. But uh, uh, but I enjoy Johnny Cueto watching Johnny Cueto. So I'm not. Uh, off the Johnny Cueto bandwagon by any uh, stretch of the imagination. But Matt Latos, this is a guy that uh, over at ESPN.com, we did some preseason predictions, and um, I picked Latos to win the Cy Young this year. And uh, that was a little bit of a, you know, stepping out on a limb, I guess. Uh, Latos pretty much justified it by the way he's pitched so far. He's, uh, like I said, 4-0 and with that uh, excellent ERA, 3.17. He's also had a couple of saves that were – uh, they were blown for him. He could have had six wins at this point. Um, so if, if I'm asking the question, Cueto or Latos, who's the who's the ace? Uh, I, I might lean towards Latos. Certainly, Latos has a, such a bright future because he's two years younger than either Cueto or Bailey. But uh, but let me just give you some credit for uh, calling out Homer Bailey on this. You know, I'm, I'm looking at Homer Bailey's numbers right now. Homer Bailey, he has the best ERA. Uh, on the starting staff, 3.09. But what's sort of amazing is looking at his fielding independent pitching uh, numbers. By far the best FIP on the uh, on the staff, 2.86, which, you know, he's maybe pitched a little bit better than the 3.09 ERA. Um, and he, of course, has the highest uh, wins above replacement, war, uh, on the Reds' start staff at this point. So Homer Bailey... Um, it probably has been better than I thought he's been so far. Uh, of course, he's only two and three. For those those are the old stats that uh, they used to look at to determine uh, Cy Young, etc. But uh, you've got a good point, Homer Bailey. Um, can he keep this up all year? 
I think so. Um, I mean, you know, going back to last year, I mean, he had, you know, a rough stretch from the, the last start of July through August. Um, you know, heading into his last start of July, his ERA was three and a half. Um, and then, you know, over the next month, it was over six. And so he really had to rebound late in the year, you know, and he threw his no-hitter. And you know, he finished out the year strong, and, you know, he's basically done the exact same thing this year. Um, you know, if you watch him pitch, I don't think anybody questions the stuff that's there. The stuff's kind of always been there. Um, it's been more of a, you know, he hasn't been as refined as he is now. Um, so I, I think that he's a guy that, you know, we're finally seeing him take, you know, that next big leap forward. Um, and, you know, we've seen it for the past, you know, 13, 14 months at this point. Um, I think that he just got overlooked overshadowed by how good Johnny Cueto and Matt Latos were last year. That You know, people didn't quite realize how good Homer Bailey was because those guys were just that good. They were a little bit better last year. Um, and, you know, this year it's just that next step forward with his consistency. You know, I at, at some point in the last couple of years, I, I began to make the argument that Homer Bailey, you know, he's probably not going to be the stud that everyone wanted him to be. And I tried to make the point that that's okay. You know, if his ceiling is a number three starter, um, there's a lot of value in a guy that's sort of a number three, number four starter if if he can be uh, fairly consistent. That's that's a guy that can stick in the major leagues, and and that the Reds Reds fans shouldn't be disappointed that he's not the superstar ace everyone expected him to be. And as a matter of fact, around the end of August last year, and I can't remember if I actually wrote the article or if I just did the research and, and never actually published it, but I was looking at uh, Homer Bailey's numbers as compared to Mike Leake. And my the question I was intending to answer in the uh, the post, and I should have gone back to look to see if I actually wrote this thing, was which one of these guys should start, uh, should uh, get a start in the playoffs? And it was a real question at the end of August because their numbers looked actually very similar. And as a matter of fact, the sort of peripheral numbers looked a tiny bit better for Mike Leake, as I recall. And then, of course, Homer Bailey has the wonderful – uh, September and October, and has not skipped a beat this year. Uh, I'm becoming a, although I've been a huge fan of Homer Bailey, and and uh, one of the running themes that, that we've discussed on this uh, podcast over the last 87 episodes has been be patient with uh, Homer Bailey. You know, we love this guy. He may actually, you know, he's probably not going to be an ace, but this is a guy that has potential for the next two, three years or so maybe a legit number two starter in the big leagues, and I think that surprises a lot of people that he's actually been able to uh, take that next step. Uh, he's got an exciting uh, future all of a sudden, doesn't he? He does. I think that, you know, he's finally living up to a lot of the hype that, you know, he had coming out of the draft and coming up out of the minor leagues. You know, I think that you know maybe some people expect him to be what, you know, Justin Verlander was, uh, not so much this year. He's been having his problems right. um, this year. But, you know, in the past, I think that, you know, that's the kind of hype that people expected Homer Bailey to be, you know, because he was built up for so long, basically because the Reds had absolutely nothing at the major league level pitching-wise. Um, and, you know, it, you know, not many people were ever going to be able to live up to something like that. But, you know, like you said, you know, if he turns out to be a number two starter in the major leagues, you know, that's that's just something that a lot of teams really don't have a legit number two starter on their team. Um, you know, that's going to get him paid really well when he's a free agent. Um, you know, that's yeah. another thing that the Reds are going to have to worry about is, you know, are they going to not only are they going to be able to afford him, but you know, are they going to have to choose between, you know, 
one, two, or three of these guys on who they want to keep and who they need to just, you know, I guess move on from, not so much because they want to, but because they don't have the money to. Yeah, that's going to be a, and I don't envy Walt Jockety as the Saints general manager for having to make those decisions. You're absolutely right. Um, I, it's going to be a tough call how they're going to be able to afford all these guys and who they're going to choose if they can't afford them all. Um, the highest ceiling of any of these starting pitchers, is there any question that the highest, uh, that the pitcher that has the highest ceiling is Matt Latos? Yeah, I think I could make an argument for Homer Bailey. Um, Really, uh, over uh, over Latos. Interesting. Yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. Um, you know, Matt Latos and Homer Bailey. I mean, they're, they're pretty similar pitchers. They're both big right-handed pitchers. Matt Latos, I think he's a little bit bigger, but um, you know, they're both big right-handed pitchers. Homer Bailey throws a little bit harder. Uh, you know, his fastball on average is a little bit harder, and his top-end velocity is a little bit harder. Both of them have you know put-away sliders. They, you know, over the last few years, have both been within the top ten in. Uh, value, according to fan graphs, uh, for all starting pitchers in all of baseball. Um, you know, they both have similar walk and strikeout rates. I, I really just don't see too much of a difference between the two guys. Um, I guess, ceiling-wise, if you wanted to count in, you know, their peak moving forward because Lito is younger, that, you know, you could give him the edge there. But on a pure stuff and results level, uh, I think that, you know, you could argue either way for either one of those guys. Well, I guess you can make an argument for Bailey, uh, certainly. But what, I, what it comes down to, to, to me anyway, is the fact that Latos is a couple years younger and uh, fairly similar pitchers in some ways. Plus, you got to you got to admit this: if Homer Bailey ever wants to become the pitcher that, or have the same ceiling as Matt Latos, Homer Bailey's got to get a lot more tattoos. He's not even close. <laughs> uh, yeah, but he he has that that arrow tattoo on his arm. Uh, it's pretty sweet. I, I, I agree. <laughs> yeah, I don't Maybe know. I'm, I, he's got a long way to go to catch up with Latos on the tattoos. I'll give him that. <laughs> Maybe I'm overrating the value of the tattoos. Let's uh, let's run briefly through the uh, through the bullpen uh, quickly, if we could. And actually, I'm going to amend my previous statement. The starting pitcher on the Red Staff who has the highest ceiling is Aroldis Chapman. Uh, but I'm not going to get into that whole argument again. Um, Chapman has uh, he struggled a little bit. He's been excellent at other times. Uh, what do you think about what we've seen out of Aroldis Chapman out of the closer spot this year? You know, I I'm, I know some fans have been concerned. I'm, I'm not concerned. You know, no, me either. Even the best guys are going to have a few bumps in the road throughout the season. Um, you know, the guy's got 34 strikeouts and nine walks in 21 innings. Uh, his ERA is 3.00. You know, we all know what he's going to do. Uh, you know, we're going to look back at the end of the year, and, you know, his ERA is going to be under three, and he's going to have a whole lot more strikeouts than he does walks in innings pitched. You know, I, I'm not concerned about anything he's done. You know, sure, I wish he hadn't blown a save here or there, but, you know, it's going to happen. Um, you know, at the end of the year, he's probably going to have five blown saves, just like most other elite closers. You know, it, that, that's just how things work. Sometimes the other guys are just better than you on that night. Even somebody as good as the world as Chapman. Isn't the fact, though, that he's going to have, and I agree with pretty much everything you said, but isn't the fact that he's going to end up having five bone saves similar to other closers? I mean, and, and he is. That's the way it works. Is that yet another argument for this guy being in the rotation? And do I need to quit beating that dead horse, I guess, is the related question. Well, you said you weren't going to bring it back up 20 seconds. I lied. Back up. But, uh, 
But no, yeah, I'm with you on that. I just, I think it's a waste of talent. But you know, it's not my choice and it's not your choice. So, you know, there's there's nothing at this point that we can do or say about it. If we probably haven't already said, um, we think that it's a bad it's a bad move. But you know, it is what it is, and there's nothing that we can really do about it. And and the issue with Chapman, even as closer, if we're going to accept that he's the closer, my issue with him has been, uh, and we're going to get into a little bit of Dusty Baker talk, I guess here, um, but has been his usage and the way he gets used as the closer. Frankly, if he's going to be in the bullpen, I'd rather him be the setup guy. Because as setup, Dusty Baker would use him in much more intense situations, more high leverage situations, situations where you really need an out. Uh, as closer, it seems like most of the time he's coming in, not a, he's not pitched hardly any against some. We talked earlier about how the Reds are performing against these uh, better teams. He's barely pitched against these better teams, and uh, he's coming in with a three-run lead or a two-run lead and nobody uh, on base, uh, three outs to go in the ninth inning. And I just it seems like such a waste of the most talented arm possibly on your staff. Uh, I guess we just need to resign ourselves to the fact that he's not going to pitch in very many high-leverage situations. Yeah, I mean, that's just how Dusty Baker and, unfortunately, just about every manager in baseball, you know, manage their closers role. You know, outside of Mariano Rivera, I can't think of another relief pitcher that comes in more than, you know, two or three times a year and throws more than one clean inning. You know, they come in with nobody on base to start an inning, and that's just how they use the bullpen now. Um, You know, but Dusty kind of does the same thing with, you know, I mean, his entire bullpen. Everybody's got their defined set role. And he's not creative at all with how he uses the bullpen, you know. If there's going to be a lefty coming up, Sean Marshall is going to be there if he's available. And as soon as there's not a lefty up, Marshall's out of the game, despite the fact that Sean Marshall gets out right, he's just about as good as the right-handers in the bullpen do. Hold on a second. I have to go beat my head against the wall. Be right back. <laughs> but, you know, that's just how Dusty does things, you know. And fortunately for us, we don't have a bad option in our bullpen. Um so it does, his lack of creativity and usage doesn't come back to bite us as often as it would if we didn't have, you know, six or seven really good bullpen arms at this point. Um, you know, there's not exactly what I would call a bad option. Um, there are certainly better options than others, but I don't think that any of them are bad options to go to uh, as far as the way that he's going to use them. Well, you make an important point, which is that, uh, Dusty has this crazy notion of these closers, but I think it's crazy. You think it's crazy. Uh, a lot of the, uh, what they probably say, bloggers in their mom's basement think it's crazy. But it is the way that almost every manager uses their closer. Um, there are very few managers that would uh, use a Rolls Chapman differently than he's being used. But it just it makes no sense to me. Uh, and I'm preaching to the choir, I know, but to have Chapman, who he's your closer, so you can see that he's the best pitcher you've got in the bullpen. It blows my mind that you can't use him in situations where uh, that talent is more important rather than these uh, sort of simple situations where he's facing the – how many times have we seen facing the 8-9-1 hitters or the 7-8-9 hitters uh, at the, in the ninth inning? And it's just a – it's a waste. It's a complete waste. But uh, – but it is what it is. That's how Chapman's going to be used. And frankly, I'm never going to get over the fact that this guy needs to be used uh, more appropriately. I think it's a huge waste. Now, let's talk about the rest of that bullpen because you talk, you, you mentioned that there are a bunch of good arms out there. And you're absolutely right that uh, no matter how much Dusty mismanages that bullpen, 
it gets masked a little bit by the fact that we've got some good pitchers out there. The one guy I want to talk about, and I'm going to absolutely completely concede that I didn't see this coming, didn't think from his minor league uh, numbers that he was going to turn into the kind of pitcher he's turned into, and that's Sam LeCure. Uh, LeCure right now, 1.35 ERA, um, just absolutely has been outstanding. He's uh, uh, He strikes out more batters, I guess, than I expected him to strike out. Uh, maybe it's just because I didn't pay as much attention to LeCure because he started in the minor leagues. Uh, didn't pay as much attention because I didn't see him as really a, you know, a starting prospect on the major league level. Well, he's been good, hasn't he? He really has. Um, you know, what's his ERA this year? You know, one seven one, I think. One point three five. One point three five. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Okay, I was looking at the wrong column there. Yeah, hey, listen, well, I mean, don't under you know, don't underestimate Sam Lecure on this podcast. I won't stand for it. I'll, I'll do my best not to mess up again. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, you know, coming up through the minors, he was a starting pitcher. Um, you know, some people said, you know, he's a number five starter. So, you know, he wasn't really, you know, viewed as a big starting pitching prospect or anything. And, you know, everybody knows he throws, you know, 87 to 90 miles an hour. So, you know, even if you put him in the bullpen, people weren't thinking that, you know, oh, well, he's going to be a back into the bullpen kind of guy. Um, and, you know, I think that, you know, more often than not, they're going to be right with a guy like that. But, you know, LeCure has, you know, a really good slider and a really cur- good curveball. I mean, both of those pitches are well above average. And they have been for years. And you guys just they don't hit those pitches. So when he can throw those pitches for strikes, you know the uh, the opponents are going to have a lot of trouble. Um, you know I'm looking at his fan graph stats right now, and you know he's actually had a below average fastball. Guys are hitting his fastball, and they have for his entire career. But you know he's got two different breaking balls that you know pretty much just dominate hitters. And you know he relies on those a lot, and you know the, the results is you know they've been pretty darn good. No, they'd definitely be good, and, and he's a guy that I thought maybe if things broke particularly well for him, he could possibly be a fifth starter in the majors, uh, which maybe shows you that uh, I didn't expect us to have such an incredible starting rotation as we have now, but uh, I didn't see it coming. Our buddies over at omgreds.com, they've been on the liqueur bandwagon for a long time, and I thought, well, it's just sort of a sort of a funny thing, you know, But uh, but they were right. This guy, he's been – you're able to bring him in in – Clutch situation, situation where maybe Chapman should be brought in, but you were able to bring him in, and he's uh, he's he misses more bats. You talk about it, you know, his fastball, and he misses more bats than I ever imagined he'd miss. His uh, strikeout to walk ratio has been uh, better than anyone really, other than uh, other than Chapman in the bullpen. Um, and I don't, I still, I watched him and watched him and watched him. I still don't know how he does it. Well, he uh, he mixes stuff well. He's I mean he's a, he's a four pitch pitcher out of the bullpen. I mean you just don't see many guys like that. Right. Uh, and because usually guys that you know they can throw hard enough to pitch in the major league bullpen if they've got four pitches they can probably start. Um, and it just you know Lachure's just been you know that guy that you know despite the fact that he probably could have been a number five starter you know he got pushed to the bullpen and you know nobody convinced him to you know be a two pitch guy. Uh, so, you know, he can really keep guys off balance, and I, I think that he really uses that well. Yeah, smart guy like that, able to throw a bunch of different pitches. Uh, and, and truth be told, and maybe it's not the best thing for his career, although it's turned out to be the best thing for the Reds, probably could have been a number five starter somewhere. Uh, there, there are probably a bunch of teams that could have used him um, as a number five starter. So uh, 
he's a, he's a guy. He's become sort of a fan favorite because of that uh, that mustache, I guess. But uh, it's it's delivered Corky Miller a little bit of a career uh, the the facial hair. But really happy to have him in the Reds bullpen. He's done well. Look, look quickly at some of these other guys in this bullpen. We talked about Sean Marshall, and I'm not going to mention him much more, except to say that I think that's the most underrated uh, member of the Cincinnati Reds. And I don't think it's even close. I don't think fans understand how good Sean Marshall is. And every time I say that, everybody uh, comes back at me with, "Oh, he's terrible." You know, how, how can you trust that guy? Why is he so underrated, and or, or am I overrating him? I guess is the question I would ask you. Uh, no, I, I think you're right on target with that. I mean, you know, since 2010, you know, he's got a 2.47 ERA. He's got 250 strikeouts and 218 innings. Uh, I mean, the guy's really good and. You know, like you said, I think that a lot of people don't appreciate just how good he is. And, and one of the people that doesn't appreciate how good he is, in my opinion, is our old buddy Dusty Baker. Sean Marshall, he was injured, I guess, and I worry, uh, we haven't heard the latest, but I worry that he's injured again. Uh, he's having some, some issues with his shoulder, I guess. 11 innings or 11 games he's appeared in this year, but he's only thrown seven innings pitched. Oh, this guy is not a, a loogie, a lefty one-out guy. This is a guy that can pitch. Get him in there in these uh, tense situations, these high-leverage situations. Let him throw to the guys that you won't let uh, Chapman throw to. After Chapman, he's the second-best pitcher out there. Uh, but we're not going to see that. He's going to be a loogie, isn't he? Uh, unfortunately, I think he is. Um, you know, and like you said, hopefully he's not injured. Um, you know, I, I think that if it were something serious, he'd have been put on the DL already. Uh, but, you know, with the day off, I think they're going to try and they just wanted to wait and see how it was going to be and how he was going to react. But, you know, hopefully it's just, you know, it was just a day of soreness. Um, and, you know, he's good to go for this upcoming series against the Cubs. But, yeah, I think that no matter what, you know, Duffy looks at him as a guy who, you know, he's only going to use against lefties in most situations. Uh, you know, unless it's one of those days where he's got two or three guys in the bullpen that, you know, just aren't available for whatever reason, Sean Marshall's not going to see too many right-handers. Well, and you mentioned it a, a moment ago, and you uh, here again, and that's sort of what's frustrating about the usage of Sean Marshall, that he's so good against right-handers, too. There's really no excuse for not using him for uh, you know a full inning or even uh, an inning plus um, because he's, he's really, really uh, – he's capable against all types of, of hitters. Um before we get out of this bullpen, and we spent way more time talking about these the Reds pitchers, and I could probably spend another hour um, because it's a fun little pitching staff. J.J. Hoover, he's another guy that's getting a lot of uh, grief because he started off slowly, I know, but um, looks to me like Dusty Baker's starting to show a little bit more confidence in J.J. Hoover, and uh, this is a guy that can help this team. Am I right? Absolutely. Um, you know, I've been – saying that J.J. Hoover could probably close for most teams. Um, and, you know, I still believe that. Um, you know, he got off to a slow start, like you said, you know. But, you know, since April 8th, J.J. Hoover's got an area of 2.40 in 15 innings. Um, you know, it's just been hidden because, you know, he gave up four runs in the first week of the season. And as a reliever who, you know, you're not going to get that many innings, it's going to take your ERA a while to recover from something like that. Um you know, Dusty seems to trust him in high leverage situations, um, rightfully so in my opinion. Uh, and you know, he's responded well. Um, I'm, I just think that you know he's another one of those guys that you know, even if Dusty Baker doesn't quite use everybody right, you know, 
he's one of those high leverage, you know, big arms that we can trust out of our bullpen. And, you know, it just really helps, I guess, with the dusty factor. You can't really screw it up that much. Yeah, that's uh, absolutely. And and I'm with you. I, if it were up to me, I probably would have J.J. Hoover closing right now because I would let the current closer go be in the starting rotation. But we've already discussed that, and I'm I'm going to try to stay away from it. But you're right. Hoover Hoover's a Hoover's quality. If you're on Hoover's uh, case uh, this year, and there are a lot of people that keep tweeting at uh, at Redleg Nation, and probably you too, about how awful J.J. Hoover is every time he comes in the game. Lay off this kid. This kid is good, and and he's a legitimate uh, a legitimate major league reliever. Okay, let's get away from the uh, the pitching if we could, and let's talk about this offense. You know, the offense was uh, the weak. It's hard to say a weak point from a team last year that uh, still still hit pretty well and, and won the division, but it wasn't the uh, strength of the Reds necessarily last year. This year, this offense has been by and large pretty doggone good, and um, and yeah, I just used the word doggone. Um, They've been pretty uh, pretty good and really have a possibility of getting better if you start looking at some of these guys. The two guys that I want to discuss first of all, and the guys that have really been the key to this uh, offense so far and should be the rest of the season, uh, I'm, I'm in love with both these guys. Joey Votto, obviously, the greatest hitter that walks the earth. And our new acquisition, the center fielder, uh, quote-unquote center fielder, Shinsu Chu, how good have these two guys been? Well, I, I think we all knew Joey Votto was, I mean, if not this good, really close to this good. Um, you know, he's hit, you know, better than just about anybody not named Miguel Cabrera in baseball over the past three years. Um, so I, I think that, you know, despite the fact that Joey Votto's still an incredible hitter, that a lot of people expected him to be, you know, an incredible hitter. I know some people have their concerns, you know, coming off of the knee injury, but, um, I wasn't one of those people. I expected Joey Votto to be, you know, pretty close to as good as he's been. Uh, but Shin Su Chu, while he's always been a above-average hitter, you know, he's been downright incredible this year. Um, you know, he's hitting 300 with a 450 on-base percentage. Um, you know, that's double what the Reds' leadoff hitters had last year. That's twice as many times he's been on base. That's that's just incredible. Um, not just on a personal level, but for how valuable and important it's been to this team and why this offense, or one of the reasons why this offense has been so much better this year than it was last year. You know, he, you know, he just really turned around, you know, the entire offense because of what he's been able to do uh, in the leadoff spot. Well, and we, we discussed that early on that we thought that might be the case, but he has been the quintessential leadoff hitter. Well, actually, I say quintessential, and, and that's actually not true. He's not the typical leadoff hitter that you saw for 80, 90 years in this game when the managers wanted to put a real quick guy at the top of the lineup, whether he could get on base or not. Um, but in terms of what I think a, a quintessential leadoff hitter should be, Shinsu Chu has been that. He's hitting three hundred right now. His on-base percentage, four forty-nine. Uh of course, what you don't expect from a, the typical leadoff hitter is he's slugging 535. He's got nine home runs. Leads the Reds in home runs, uh, leadoff hitter. And, you know, that's the key to what this offense is and can be, which is getting guys on base in front of Joey Votto. And, of course, when you got Chu and Votto both getting on base in front of Phillips and Bruce, you start to see this offense really begin to uh, uh, kick into high gear. Shin Su Chu, we're going to talk about this later in the season, I know. And I know what the answer is, I'm afraid. 
But uh, the Reds really need to make a serious, serious uh, effort to re- to re-sign him. And I don't think it'll happen, but they've got to really make a, a hardcore effort, don't they? You'd think so. Um, you know, he's been so, so good. Um, but I, I just don't know that it's going to work out. I, I hate to say that, you know. As everybody knows, I'm a huge Reds fan. I, I want them to have the best players, and I think that Shin Shu is a great player, especially this year he's a great player. And even if he goes back to what he's been in his entire career, he's still a really good player. Um, but between, you know, what the Reds have, uh, how much money they have, and, you know, this being probably his last shot to, you know, get a big kind of deal, he's going to want to test the free agent market. I, I, I just don't know that the two sides are going to be able to work things out um, to bring him back. Well, and and if, if I'm going to be honest, intellectually honest uh, with myself, it may not be in the Reds' best interest to bring him back. I mean, Chu is, as you said, he's going to demand a huge contract, and he will have earned that. But, you know, he'll be 31 next year. If you have him playing left field next year, it makes the contract much more palatable. Uh, as a center fielder, he's he's been adequate, but he's not been, uh, you know, a world beater in center field. As a left fielder, I can handle him. Um, but he's going to be 31. you got to think he's going to begin to decline. It may not be the best idea to give him the long-term, high-dollar contract that he's going to be seeking, that his uh, agent, Scott Boris, is going to be seeking for him, and that he'll probably get from someone. And so you can't fault him if he, if he does go somewhere and, and cash in on that big payday. But I'd love to see him. Uh, in the Reds lineup for at least the next uh, next few years. Now, a guy that is going to be in the Reds lineup for the next uh, decade, uh, you would presume, is Joey Votto. A lot of guys early, and, and you mentioned him, and we've discussed him just about every uh, time we do one of these podcasts. A lot of Reds fans, were, oh, no, his knee's still hurting. Oh, it's not the same Joey Votto. Oh, we wasted all this money on him. He's not uh, the Joey Votto we expect he'd be. And you're response, and mine has as well as been, come on, Joey Votto is Joey Votto. He's going to be fine. And Oh, well, you look up here now, and uh, 47 games into the season, and uh, his OPS over 1,000, OPS plus 177. He's uh, hitting 358. His on-base percentage is almost 500. Uh, Reds fans need to chill out and every single day enjoy watching Joey Votto, because he is a, a Hall of Fame caliber batter, and you don't get to see those come uh, come around so often. Now, am I entirely off base with saying that? No. No, you are not. Um, I mean, there's... I mean, outside of Miguel Cabrera, I don't think there's anybody in baseball that is anywhere near the same level of hitter as those two guys. Um, and it's probably been that way for a few years since our pool holes declined a few years ago. I mean, he's still really good, but He's not where he once was, and that's basically where Joey Votto and Miguel Cabrera are right now. You know, they're clear in a way the two best hitters in baseball, and nobody's really close to them. Um, you know, the last time a Red, the Reds had a hitter this good for any extended period of time, not one of those one-season flukes where a good guy just had a great year. You know, well, the '70s uh, with you know maybe Johnny Bench, T. Rose. And I mean, and Pete Rose wasn't even the same kind of hitter as Joey Votto. And Joe Morgan, yeah. I mean, you know, it's been a long time since somebody this good come through, especially as a hitter. Um, and, you know, 
you're probably not going to get to see another guy that's good at the plate for a long time for the Reds. And and he's a red. And that just every time I think about that, it amazes me. This is an, an elite hitter, a guy with a legitimate argument to be the best hitter on earth. He's a, he's a Cincinnati Red, probably for his career. I mean, that's uh, I just I enjoy the way he approaches his uh, his craft of hitting. Um, and, and actually, at Red Leg Nation today, I linked to an article by. Uh, Jerry Krasnick, I guess it was, over at uh, ESPN. They just sort of discussed his approach and uh, how it's such a different approach than any, than most hitters have at the plate. Very cerebral, um, a guy that really knows what he wants to do at the plate and uh, doesn't take a single at bat off. Gosh, uh, I, I love watching Joey Votto every day, and uh, and he's he, in a lot of ways he's the key to how this offense goes. Now let's talk about a couple of other guys uh, who have benefited to varying degrees from the fact that they've had uh, Votto and Chu on base in front of them. I'm not going to mention Zach Kozar hitting second because that makes my head hurt. Uh, but let's talk about Brandon Phillips and uh, and Jay Bruce. Bruce, of course, is very hot lately. Brandon Phillips leading the league in RBIs. Uh, those guys are having uh, pretty good years. Uh, Bruce, uh, I think, is on his way. He's rising, I guess. What do we expect from Brandon Phillips and Jay Bruce the rest of the season? Uh, personally, I think that you know Jay Bruce is just going to get better. Um, at least his overall numbers from where they're at right now are just going to get better. Um, you know, he's hitting worse than he's hit in a few years, um, and you know he's you know getting closer to his prime. So you'd expect him to get better. And you know, like you said, he has been hitting better as of late. Um, you know, until yesterday, he was leading the National League in doubles. Um, and he started hitting more home runs now, and I, I think that, you know, that's going to be something we're going to see, you know, now that the weather's heating up a little bit more and he's heating up, you know, he's going to hit a little bit more home runs than, you know, we had seen over the first six weeks of the season. Um, Brandon Phillips, you know, I'm not quite sure he's as good as he's been so far. You know, I know he's got a lot of RBI. I'm not even talking about that because that's that's not something he can really control. Um you know, whether or not he comes up to the plate with guys on base, I'm sure it's going to help that he's got, you know, two elite on base guys in front of him. But, you know, sometimes, you know, you're just not going to get those opportunities. Uh, but I'm not I'm not sure that he's going to slug, you know, 464 the rest of the season. You know, his batting average on base percentage, I think that, you know, he's in the right range for where he's going to fall, you know, 284, 330, you know, 10 points either way from there I think he's going to wind up with. But, you know, I'm not sure that, you know, at age 32, Brandon, Brandon Phillips has found that power stroke again that, you know, he hasn't had since he hit 30 home runs a few years ago. Um, but, you know, he, he's been pretty good. Uh, I just don't know that he's going to, you know, hit for as much power as he's shown so far. Yeah, let me tell you, Brandon Phillips, if you could uh, if you could guarantee me that at the end of the season he's going to be uh, sort of where he is now, a two eighty four batting average, three thirty on base percentage, four sixty four slugging percentage, I will take that every day and twice on Sunday um, out of a 32-year-old second baseman who is still an above-average defensive guy. So I'm very pleased with Phillips. He's not a cleanup hitter, and I wish he weren't hitting there, but uh, very pleased with what he has been able to accomplish thus far. Now, Jay Bruce, on the other hand, obviously had the terrible April and and Jay Bruce is the streakiest hitter on earth. Uh, it feels like sometimes. Um, and his numbers actually at this point are almost 
identical to uh, to Phillips in some uh, respects, uh, slightly lower, but uh, almost identical. Um, he's been on fire lately, and I hope this is the beginning of an extended stretch where he's going to be hitting well. And let's hope those lows aren't quite as low as they have been when he goes into his slumps. But I expected Bruce to take a huge step forward this year in his age 26 season. And uh, we've not necessarily seen it so far. And uh, I think that if he does not uh, take a bit of a step forward offensively, it kind of hurts this team a little bit as we look towards October because uh, the Reds really need another uh, another big hitter in the middle of that lineup to be a serious uh, contender in, in October, in my opinion. And it's got to be Jay Bruce. So um, I'm happy with where Jay Bruce is and where he can be. Um, these streaks that he gets on have really got to sort of even out a little bit. Uh, not, not a, the highs can keep being as high as they they have been, but these lows have got to even out some. So we'll look we'll look forward to seeing what Bruce uh, does the rest of the season. What's going to happen in left field? Uh, it's going to be a while before Ryan Ludwig's back, and uh, Chris Heisey's been awful. There's no other way to describe it. And uh, Xavier Paul has been okay, but I'm afraid he's going to be uh, – exposed if he plays too much more. Can the Reds survive until Ludwig gets back with that left-handed uh, platoon? I, I think so, um, but I think that I think so a little bit more than maybe you do because I'm more sold on Xavier Paul than you. Uh, you know, his major league track record hasn't really been good um, outside of basically his time with the Reds, you know, going back to last year. And even then, you know, it's just under 200 plate appearances. Uh, but if you look at his minor league track record, he's always crushed the minor leagues. I mean, absolutely beat up AAA pitching. Um, and basically until he came to the Reds, you know, he hadn't hit as a major leaguer. And the big problem was is he was far too aggressive at the plate. You know, he had always walked in the minor leagues well. And then he'd come up to the major leagues and he just he wouldn't throw walks. He'd go up there and he'd swing at anything they'd throw. You know, whether that was a mental game, he was too anxious, you know, because he wanted to prove himself, he wanted to – you know, show the manager, hey, look what I can do. Whatever it was, you know, something was causing him to basically lose that skill that he had shown in the minor leagues. And with the Reds so far, and just under 200 plate appearances over the last two seasons, you know, he's had that plate discipline. Um, you know, he's got on base. He's hit the ball okay. Uh, so I, I think that, you know, the Xavier Paul we're seeing right now is basically the guy that he is. And I, I think that, you know, he can keep up what he's done so far. Maybe not, you know, quite a 380 on base percentage, but there's something close to it, especially if he doesn't have to face left-handed pitching. Um, you know, I, I think that they're going to be all right. Um, not quite as good as what I would have expected out of Ryan Ludwig over a full season, but you know, good enough to you know fill in for him and not be a huge step backwards, in my opinion. Well, I, you know, from your uh, from your mouth to uh, to God's ears, absolutely. I, I hope so. I, I don't have a whole lot of uh, faith in Xavier Paul necessarily, and I guess I'd had more hope uh, for what we would have received from Chris Heisey in terms of production. Um, let me ask you, because I got in a, uh, not really an argument, but a discussion with some, some people who are talking about Donald Lutz, who uh, made his Major League debut here, and he's you know he's done okay uh, as a Major Leaguer so far in uh, 17 games, 37 plate appearances. Was I incorrect in saying that Donald Lutz is a fourth, fifth outfielder ceiling type guy that uh, this is not a guy that 
is going to be a potential starter in the major leagues. Uh, am I off base with that? Uh, should I go back and apologize to the guys I was arguing with on Twitter? I think you should apologize for it, but with an asterisk. Uh, right now, I don't think that there's any reason to believe that Donald Lutz is a starter. Um, he's not ready right now to start every day. Um, but I, feeling-wise, I think that, yeah, you know, he, he can be a starting left fielder, um, you know, if things go right for him. Right now, I don't think he's close to being ready to, you know, face, especially major league pitching day in and day out. I think he's far too aggressive at the plate. But, you know, he's got a, he's got a pretty special bat. Um, you know, when he makes contact, it's really hard contact, and you just don't see that from a lot of guys. Um, and, you know, he's athletic despite his size, you know, for a left fielder. Um, so I think that defensively he can handle left field, and, you know, if things work out right with his dad, that, you know, he, he definitely could be a starting caliber left fielder. Well, uh, let's hope so, because he seems like a great guy and uh, wish him nothing but the best. Let's uh, move quickly, if we could, to the catcher position. I think the last time we talked, Ryan Hannigan uh, had gone out. He's back now, obviously, and we had talked about uh, Devin Mezzarocco getting his chance to sort of be the starting guy and, and a chance to impress and a chance to show that he still needs to be in the conversation. Did Mezzarocco prove anything while he was uh, got that chance to start, and does it even matter when Dusty Baker's managing the team? Wow, those are two very different questions, aren't they? Um, <laughs> yes. To me, I think that he did prove something, um, and it's not necessarily what people were expecting him to prove. I think that a lot of people were more, more concerned about what he would do at the, at the plate rather than behind the plate with his time, um, you know, because I think that people expected, you know, at one point in his career that he could come up and he could really hit major league pitching, which I still think that he could do, but, you know, he didn't quite do that in his, you know, three, three-and-a-half week, you know, exposure of – you know, 60, 70% playing time. Uh, but the pitching staff, you know, more often than not, performed very well when he was on the or when he was behind the plate catching for them. And I think that that's something that a lot of people had been using as an excuse as for why he wasn't getting as much playing time as some of us were calling for. And, you know, over the long haul of the time that he was behind the plate just about every day, the pitching staff pitched really well with him back there. And I think that it showed certain people that, you know, it isn't always the catcher behind the plate that's making the difference with our pitching staff. That, you know, as long as the guy is capable that's back there, that, you know, our pitchers are going to be good more often than they're not going to be good because, well, they're good pitchers. And that that's what stuck out to me the most. You know, I had always felt that Beth Rocco was a capable catcher back there, uh, despite what some other people had been trying to tell me. Um and, you know, that that's what stuck out to me. Um, you know, I, I still think the bat's going to be better than where it's at now. Um, but, you know, sometimes it's going to take more than three weeks of continuous playing time for that to show up. I mean, you know, Jay Bruce didn't hit for all of April, and he's been crushing it in May. You know, sometimes it just takes a little bit longer to get things going. Yeah, and, and Mezzarocco didn't hit terribly, but... You you point out the one thing that may have uh, helped him win over a few doubters, which is that uh, if there are any questions about his defensive uh, ability, especially with uh, respect to a comparison with Ryan Hannigan, at the very least he may have answered some of those questions. Um, I think this whole catcher ERA nonsense is uh, is for the birds. 
and given way too much uh, credence among some uh, some talk radio uh, hosts and, and uh, supporters of the Cincinnati Reds. But uh, Ms. Rocco showed that, hey, he's capable. And that's the word you use, and I think that's the appropriate word. He's capable of uh, handling the job back there. Now, given that he's capable... I guess it's going to be up to him to show that his bat is what we all hoped it would be. And still, I, I'm with you. I think he still can be. He's just 25 years old. Um, but uh, I don't think he – while he may not have answered all the questions that some doubters may have had, he uh, he answered a lot of them. And he's uh, he's capable of handling start catchers if it comes around. Hopefully, Ryan Hannigan's going to get uh, straightened out of the plate. His numbers he's, – he's shown a little, some signs of that lately, but – his numbers are still pretty poor uh, as a hitter, and so uh, you know if they're both both those guys are playing as well as uh, we hope they can play, it's a pretty good tandem, um, and could be for the next year or two. Uh, anything else you want to say about the Reds' offense uh, before we move on? Uh, no, because anything else I'd have left to say would be uh, a little bit on the negative side, and I don't want to have uh, any negativity <laughs> going into uh, this weekend series. So let's just move on forward. There you go. Yeah, I think there are some things we can maybe talk about. Maybe we will next time around. But let's uh, let's leave that around because we're we're in a good mood now. The Reds are, are winning some games. Um, let's talk uh, quickly, if we could. Uh, spend as much time as you want to on it. But uh, about the minor leagues, which is uh, your area of expertise, uh, and I want you to sort of let us know what's going on on the minor league level, but. The first thing I want to ask you is if you could speak about our buddy Bill Lack, who's done some incredible interviews. If you guys haven't listened to his interviews the last couple of weeks with a couple of Reds legends, uh, Jim Maloney and uh, Big Red Machine member uh, Fred Norman, they've been fantastic. Well, Bill uh, Lack is going to be sitting down with uh, Tucker Barnhart, one of the uh, prospects in the Red system, who's one of our what we call spotlight players, who's sort of assisted us, helped us out at the Red League Nation, letting us follow him along his, his career. And he's spoken with us before, and he's written a couple of posts. But uh, where are we with Tucker Barnhart? What do we have uh, to look forward to? Is this guy a major leaguer at some point? Absolutely. I mean, even if he couldn't hit, I think he's a major leaguer at some point because his defense is just that good. Uh, You know, he is a good receiver. Uh, He works well with the pitchers. And, uh, you know, I I just think that, you know, defensively what he brings would be enough to, at the very least, you know, give him a career backup kind of role. but, you know, he's actually been hitting pretty well this year. Um, you know, he's hitting 276 with a 353 on base percentage and a 397 slugging percentage, you know, heading into the game tonight. Um, I guess the one thing that, you know, I've really been wondering about it a lot this year is, you know, because he's a switch hitter, uh, for those who don't know, um, how much longer the Reds are going to let him continue to uh, bat right-handed, which is not his more natural side of the plate. Um, you know, this year he's hitting 217. Uh, with a 208 on base percentage, uh, because he's got a sack fly and no walks from that side of the plate, and he's plugging 261. And basically, that's what he's done for his entire career from the right side of the plate. Um, you know, low 200s or even lower batting average, and absolutely no power whatsoever from that side of the plate. Uh, and I-, I wonder if at some point they're going to, you know, ask him if, you know, maybe he just wants to be a left-handed batter all of the time. Uh, you know. He's still rather young at 22, so maybe they're going to give it a few more years. Uh, you know, like they say, you know, sometimes the catcher's offense is the last thing to come around. And you know, overall, he's been really good offensively. Uh, and so I, I think that maybe it's something that 
you know, they'll let him experiment maybe for another year or two. But if he doesn't show improvements, I really do wonder if it's something they're not going to ask him to give up on. Uh, because, you know, so far as a professional, the results just have not been there at any point um, to even give the slightest hope that, you know, maybe he'll turn things around, at least from what I'm seeing. Uh, but, you know, fortunately, as a, from the left side, he does hit, and you're going to face more right-handed pitchers, which would put him in the left side of the batter's box, you know, more often. So I, I think that at the very worst, he's going to be a major leader. Um, just kind of depends on how his bat develops over the next few years as to, you know, whether that's going to be as, you know, more of a platoon guy or, you know, as a majority of the time catcher. Well, listen, I'm biased uh, because the two guys that have uh, been very generous with their time uh, for Red Lake Nation have appeared here on this podcast, Red Lake Nation uh, Radio. Uh, the two guys really that we really appreciate that have a chance of being uh, legitimate major leaguers, Devin Mezzarocco is one of them who uh, was very kind to us to, to join us, and Tucker Barnhart. Uh, and so I would love to see a day when uh, Mezzarocco and Barnhart are Cincinnati Reds and sharing that catching position and uh, excelling. So appreciate those thoughts. Now, what are the other big storylines? No one covers the minor leagues like Doug Gray. What are the other storylines that uh, the rest of us out here should know about what's going on in the minor leagues right now? Uh, I'm, let me know. Talk to me. You're the man. Well, I think that aside from Tony Singrani, who we've already covered, uh, just because of you know his importance to the club, not just this season, but overall, um, the, the two biggest guys that – I really want to talk about are both in Dayton right now. Uh, right-handed pitcher Robert Stevenson. Um, you know, overall, if you look at his numbers right now, his ERA is 4.02. He's got a 3-3 three and three record. Um, you know, he, he's had a few hiccups along the way so far this season. Um, but, you know, and who's the number one pick? Who's the, the Reds' number one pick for those of you that uh, don't know, right? Yes, he was. He went 27th overall in the 2011 draft. Um, and He's got 60 strikeouts and 13 walks and 47 innings for Dayton this year. And I really, I mean, he's, aside from the world as Chapman, there hasn't been an arm as electric as his come through the system in my lifetime. Um, wow. He's a guy, I mean, he, I've seen him throw live twice this year, and both games he was basically sitting, you know, 95 to 97 late in the game, uh, which I guess late for him is fifth, sixth inning at this point because he's just 20 so they don't let him throw more than 85 pitches in any given start. Uh, but, you know, he's hit 101 miles an hour in the past, uh, and he consistently sits in the upper 90s. Uh, he's just – he's been really, really good as of late. A uh, few starts ago, I guess it was – what day was that? The 8th of May, he apparently decided to try something a little bit different with his mechanics. And, you know, he noted after the game – that teammate Sal Romano had actually told him to, you know, maybe go a little bit more with mechanics that he used in high school. And so he he said that he did that. And, uh, well, the results were pretty good. He threw six shutout innings without a walk and with nine strikeouts. Uh, easily his best start of the season. Um, the first time he'd gone six full innings in a game in his career. Um, the next start out, he gave up one earned run in six innings with no walks and struck out seven. Last time out, he threw seven innings, which was a new career high, with one walk and nine strikeouts. I mean, just blowing guys away, elite stuff, elite breaking ball, good changeup, big fastball. Um, you know, 
I went back and I looked at the mechanics, and really there wasn't much of a difference. He is, in his follow-through, he's not getting quite as flat in his follow-through, uh, but I really haven't seen a difference in the stuff. It's mostly that he's able to control everything a little bit better, and if a guy with his kind of stuff can control the ball and throw it for strikes, it doesn't even have to be where he wants it within the strike zone. It's that good. You know, he's got a chance to be a legit number one shutdown ace, not like number one pitcher, but, you know, full-on ace. There's five or ten guys in the major leagues with that kind of potential. I mean, he's got that kind of stuff, and if he can, you know, get to the point where he can throw strikes consistently, I mean, he's just a really, really, really special arm. Uh, pretty high praise for a guy that, uh, you know, high school guy, you never know how those guys are going to pan out. Anyone else uh, in the minor leagues that really we need to be paying attention to? Any other big storylines uh, you want to point out? Yeah, Jesse Winker. Um, he was a first-round supplemental pick last year. He's just 19 years old. Coming into tonight, he was hitting 313 with a 416 on base percentage and a 537 slugging percentage as a teenager in the Midwest League, which for – most people who don't know, that's, it's a pretty pitcher-friendly league, especially early in the season uh, because it's in the Midwest, and it's, it's pretty cold in April in most towns in the league. Uh, I mean, he has just been obliterating this league, and he got off to a pretty rough start um, since the 19th of April. Or, well, let's just look at this. Going into the 19th of April, he was hitting under 200. And as of right now, he's hitting 313. So since the 19th of April... He's hitting 382 and slugging 667 with 17 walks and 19 strikeouts. 19 that's years old. 19 years old. That's it's incredible. Um, you know, I wrote an article on my website uh, last week, and a lot of scouts I've actually talked to and heard from they want to compare him with Jay Bruce, and I just don't see that. I can see the physical comparison to Jay Bruce. Um, you know, his swings a little bit like Jay Bruce's, but. Honestly, I, I hate to throw this praise on somebody because I, I just don't know that it's fair. But I see Joey Votto when I watch this kid play. Not so much oh, defensively because they, they play different positions, but he's the kind of guy that uses the entire field, and he can do it with power to all fields at 19. And, you know, he's got the plate approach. He does not swing at balls. He, he just won't do it. And... You know, like I said, I, I, it's a lot of praise to put on somebody. And, you know, let me put this little caveat out there. I don't think that Joey Votto is the 37 home run guy that he was when he won the MVP. You know, I think Joey Votto is a 25 to 30 home run guy with 40, 45 doubles. Um, and I know some people will disagree with me there, but that's when I think of Joey Votto, that's what I think of. I think that Jesse Winker could be just a slightly lesser version of that. I think this guy can be a 300 hitter who is going to draw you 70, 80 walks in a season. And, you know, hit you 40 doubles and 25 to 30 home runs. And he's just, for his age, he's so much more advanced than everybody else at his age. It, it, it's unbelievable. Watching the kid play, it's, it's a play at least. He's just, he's on a different level than other people his age. And it, it's been really exciting to watch what he's done so far this year. Well, that's one thing that you know I I, I like to look at uh, with these minor league guys is their plate discipline. Uh, you know, are they are they swinging at balls outside the zone? And for, that's high praise, frankly, for a guy 19 years old to have some idea of the strike zone. It's a guy with a with a pretty high ceiling. So certainly, that's a guy that uh, bears watching for all you Reds fans out there. 
Let me go ahead and ask you because I, it's sort of the elephant in the room whenever you talk about Reds minor leagues. Billy Hamilton, where are where are we with his uh, development? And uh, just talk to us about uh, Billy Hamilton. Well, uh, anybody that follows the minor leagues, even with you know just a little bit of you know observation, they've seen that Billy Hamilton has struggled this year. You know, going into tonight, he was just hitting 243. Um, you know, he he struggled. Uh, it it's not there's no way to really beat around the bush. He's not hit well this year, but you know, he really struggled in April, and he had different hitting mechanics from the left side of the plate this year than he'd had the previous two years, and it just wasn't working out for him. He noticed it. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming the hitting coach noticed it, but. Early in May, a few days into May, he went back to his old hitting mechanics. And, you know, he's looked better at the plate. Um, the results, they're still, I, I guess, so-so. But, you know, he's hitting the ball with authority now. And that's just not something that I saw from him just about at all during the entire month of April. I mean, he might have hit three or four balls hard the entire month that I saw. And, you know, so far in May, I mean, he's hitting 282 in May, which is, I mean, that, that, that's good. That's that's something that you want to see out of Billy Hamilton, you know, a guy who can hit 275 to 290. Uh, but you know, he just looks so much more comfortable and better at the plate. You know, he's hitting the bat to the zone a lot quicker than he was before. And I, I think that, you know, over the, over the course of the season, you know, his numbers are going to get a lot more respectable than they are now. He's hitting better. He's made that adjustment, that change that he needed to make. And I don't think that it was necessarily one – where the pitchers were figuring something out against him. They were exploiting something that they saw in him. Uh, he had just changed his mechanics, and they, they just weren't working out for him. I don't know why they changed his mechanics from the left side of the plate, uh, because he did succeed with them you know, pretty well last year. Uh, but you know, he's gone back to what was working for him last year, and you know, so far in May, you know, they're working pretty good for him. Again, he, he looks more comfortable. He's hitting the ball harder. Things just look better. Um, the one thing is, you know, he's not walking nearly as much as he did last year. And, you know, that was a big part of his game. It helped to get on base a lot. And, obviously, with a guy like Billy Hamilton with the speed he's got, you want him on base as much as possible. Um, you know, I didn't think he was ever going to walk, you know, 16% of the time like he did last year. Uh, that's something that, you know, Joey Votto-type guys do. You know, if pitchers aren't afraid to throw you strikes, you know, they're not going to walk you that often. And, you know, I, I think that that's been one of the things that, has happened in AAA that the pitchers have adjusted to him. They're not, you know, too concerned about throwing him strikes. And I think that that's going to help him moving forward, like, in his hitting sets because, you know, he's going to get more pitches to hit uh, than, you know, he has gotten in the year past, not only because, you know, the pitchers in AAA are better at, you know, throwing pitches in the zone, but, you know, they have less reason to fear him. I guess, and they can also, you know, make that adjustment that they can throw the strikes. And I think that that's actually going to help him develop a little bit quicker um, now that he's facing more advanced pitching because he'll get to swing the bat a little bit more at better pitches uh, just because of the competition that he's facing. Um, so I, I wouldn't be too worried about anything he's done so far this year. You know, if you look at the overall stat line, you know, the numbers don't look good. They're not where you want to see them. But, you know, that's why we watch the games. Uh, that's why scouts and, you know, player development people watch the games because, you know, a little change here or there can make all of the difference in the world. And I, I think that so far with Billy Hamilton, we've seen just that. If you've been watching him play all year, you know, if you saw him in April, you know, you saw a really bad hitter who 
was struggling to, you know, hit the ball with any kind of consistency or authority. And, you know, one little change, you know, and he's back to, you know, the guy that we saw last year. Well, that certainly bears watching for the rest of the year because uh, there are a lot of people that consider him to be the opening day center fielder for the Cincinnati Reds next year. So we'll see what we'll see what happens. Anything else with the minors that you want to uh, talk about before we close up shop today? Well, I'll just uh, throw in one more thing on Billy Hamilton, uh, and then we can uh, get things going. But uh, you know, I thought I'd talk about his defense a little bit because you know, as you said, you know, a lot of people do expect him to be the starting center fielder next year. Uh, he's been nothing but impressive. Uh, in the outfield, from what I've seen, uh, he shows elite range, which you know obviously you'd expect with somebody with his speed. But you know, he's also getting really good reads on the ball right off the bat. And you know, when you couple that with his speed, there are very few guys in baseball that can do the things that he can do in center field as far as you know getting to the baseball. Uh, you know, in April he made two errors on similar plays where he was going to try and you know, field a ground ball and throw a runner out at the base or make a throw to the base. And he pulled his glove up a little earlier than he should have, and the ball went by him. Uh, but other than that, uh, he has been absolutely downright impressive with what he's done in the outfield. Uh, I really can't wait, you know, to see him tracking down baseballs for the Cincinnati Reds in the outfield. Uh, it, it's something that, I mean, I know that everybody – was in love with Drew Stubbs' defense, and rightfully so. He's a really good defensive center fielder. I think Billy Hamilton can be better defensively. Um, he's got those kind of abilities in the outfield. And while I expected him to get there eventually, it's been really impressive seeing how quickly he's been able to pick up the position. Um, he's always been a hard worker, but, you know, even with all the hard work in the world, sometimes it takes, you know, a lot of repetitions to get where you need to be. And, you know, he's been able to pick up on things that take guys – you know, months, sometimes even years to pick up on. Uh, and you know, he's done it really, really quickly, and it's been really impressive. That's pretty high praise, uh, certainly on the defensive side for Billy Hampson. Wow, look forward to seeing him play even more. Uh, well, Doug, I guess it's about time to wrap this uh, wrap this show up. So uh, any closing thoughts, anything else you want to add before we uh, call it a night? Yes. Let's sweep the Cubs because I can't stand Cubs or Cubs fans in our ballpark. Oh man, that's a that's a comment from a guy that's after my own heart. Absolutely, Doug. Appreciate <laughs> you joining us uh, once again for uh, Red Lake Nation Radio. I would I would ask you all to go to red redlegnation dot com. Certainly, that's a, that's our website where we talk about the Reds every day. Go visit uh, Doug over at redsminorleagues dot com. Great stuff there every single day. You can keep track of what's going on throughout the Reds organization on a daily basis. You want to follow Doug on Twitter. Doug Dirt twenty at Doug Dirt twenty four is that right? That's right. Ah, follow Doug on Twitter. Follow us at, at Red Lake Nation at Red Lake Nation on Twitter, and then of course, uh, if you want to listen to my dumb nonsense, I don't know why you want to, but if you want to listen to the dumb nonsense that I post, uh, you can follow me at Dotson C D O T S O N C. Um, Doug, appreciate you joining us once again. As always, it's been a pleasure. Definitely, definitely. Go uh, subscribe via iTunes to uh, Red Lake Nation Radio. Check us out. Uh, you can subscribe via RSS as well if you'd like. Um, really appreciate you doing that. And really appreciate you joining us here. You know, you got a lot of options for your entertainment uh, time. And uh, really appreciate you uh, giving us a download and listening to the uh, the dumb stuff we uh, have to say about the Cincinnati Reds. For Doug Gray, this is Chad Dawson saying... 
So long, everyone.